Well, welcome everyone. I'm Kathy McGuire. I'm your host uh, for today, and you have joined the Bringing Care Home podcast. With me today is Dr. John Bloom. Um, he, if, for those of you who are regulars, you may uh, recognize Dr. Bloom from a podcast on our Slice of Healthcare network uh, back in 2022. But Dr. Bloom is the CEO of Podometrics. And, and he's here to talk to us about this exciting technology and services that uh, they have put together. And uh, let's just jump right in. Dr. Bloom, you know the, you know the drill. Uh, tell us and tell our audience, especially for those who haven't met you here before, kind of how you got started. Our audience is always thrilled hearing the paths of entrepreneurs, especially when they hear that you invented something in your dorm room or in a study carol with five other guys or whatever, you know, it's always really cool to hear that stuff. <laughs> so tell us about your path to Podometrics. Yeah. And by the way, Kathy, thank you so much for having me to get a chance to chat about this patient who I think often gets ignored by a lot of how we build our health system. I'm just really thrilled to get a chance to talk about, uh, talk about it. So, my background, definitely not the most linear. Uh, I started off as a rather not great uh, a punk drum musician. That was, uh, that thankfully didn't last too long. I uh, went to medical school and then uh, uh, went to Mass General for anesthesiology. And then uh, instead of going right into practice after that, I was um, hired out by Covidian, uh, at the time a big device company, to be their global medical director for the monitoring division, just trying to think about monitoring systems that could be interesting. Worked briefly at UPMC and then, okay, fine, now, like, hopefully the end of my, my, my story, uh, came to uh, uh, MIT to try to get a business degree to learn this language that I found myself in. It's so interesting as clinicians, we now hear things like NPV and like, I would almost get hives when I heard these phrases. And so it was almost, I felt like language school. And then in the second month, Maybe, maybe, maybe the beginning of the third month of school, there was a hackathon event. It was just a weekend where you could, you could meet up with uh, 99 other interesting people. We would start companies in healthcare and I sat down at the table and we decided we wanted to end amputations. And that, that was now about 13 years ago. And I've been doing that ever since. Again, I know that's a long story, but that's. Hey, when, when did you let, when did you last hear a bunch of punk rockers talking about amputations? I mean, come on. <laughs> I, I used to have that's hair. Really cool. cool things with it, but that those days sadly are, are no longer here. And <laughs> well, I, that, I think it may, it, it makes you the well-rounded guy that you are, right? <laughs> Maybe, yes. I'm sure that's why you're friends with Jared as well. <laughs> These uh, we're almost twinsies, almost exactly, exactly. So, 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 you're sitting around with a bunch of docs and and business people and saying, hey, you know, uh, amputations got to stop. Um, what are we going to do about it? And so, tell us about Podometrics. What came out of that? Tell us, you know, the technology, the services. What did what did you what did you build and and, and evolve? since, you know, really in these 13 years? I think one of the most interesting things is our, our first ideas were actually terrible. Uh, the business model didn't make sense, which is clearly an important part to create a sustainable business. Our ideas on technology, thinking in terms of, you know, back then we were this, this insole platform, um, you know, those we re had real challenges as we actually thought about usability as we started to just test some of these ideas and then uh, you know, the, the, with with the way 
medicine was being operated back then where value-based care still was not a, a huge thing. It was, it was, it was challenging to figure it out, but what was really cool, what we did, what many teams don't do is we just kept working on it. You know, we just kept in class meeting up afterwards. Um, and what we started to recognize is that this is a, first of all, just to talk about the, this patient a little bit, you know, I had, I, when I was practicing and certainly when I was training, I could spend whole days in the amper, in the operating room doing nothing but amputations, a full schedule of, of losing limbs. And unfortunately, uh, um, on this patient, we spend an inordinate amount of, 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 of direct expenses and the five-year mortality after an amputation is, is, is over twice that of all cancer combined. So it's about 60 to 70%. It's an absolute killer. And it's devastating our most vulnerable patients. It's typically Black Americans, Hispanic Americans, Native Americans, uh, where you have gaps in access to care. As we think about the home, you, you can start to get a sense why that was a key spot. But access and engagement were challenges. This is a patient typically overwhelmed with their care. If they have diabetes to the extent that their limbs are at risk of amputation, typically they have hearts that are affected, lungs, kidneys. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a complex patient. And just to presume that they'll use this thing every day, you know, I, I think we recognize that that was going to be the biggest problem to solve. It wasn't actually amputation. It was trying to figure out usability and engagement. And what we ended up creating, I hope I'm taking too long on this, this question. Oh, please. But uh, we, like, for, just give me cues. I take cues easily. Um, You're was, good. We built a mat. That form factor, although not the sexiest, it made sense to right? Or like we just, as we, we started to work with our first popula populations, like we had, we tried originally all these different form factors, but that form factor seemed to be kind of logic. You put it by the sink and while you're brushing your teeth, you go on with the rest of your day. That's it. it it's fairly mindless. And then we can take thermal data from the feet, which is going to allow us to look for signs of tissue breakdown. And like as you get a sense of, if, if you get a scratch, it starts to get red and inflamed. And it gets hot. That's the extra blood flow coming to the area to try to heal it. We see that spike in temperature and wherever it's occurring on the, this full two-dimensional scan of temperature to try to see if there's a potential wound that's developing. And the primary antecedent, the primary thing that causes an amputation is a wound. It's a diabetic foot ulcer, this, this break in the skin that can get infected and get ischemic, meaning not enough oxygen there. And we can see that on the scanner. And then we have a team of mostly nursing staff that actually now tries to work with this patient to, to, so that they, in the moment that there's a problem, we can give them the support that they need to try to ensure we can get the prevention that we that we hope to have. And I, I can talk maybe a little bit later about our clinical data, but that's that is where we landed. And um, we've been able to now get it into, uh, we're now in every state except for, I think, Alaska, now across the United States. Well, you know, when I think back on my childhood and my grandmother's best friend, Margie, was a lady who had a whole bunch of different health issues, but she was diabetic. And as a child, you don't even know what a diabetic is. But what we knew is that when we were, you know, eight and nine years old, Margie lost her toe. And then when we were 11 or 12 years old, Margie lost her foot. And then she lost her leg below the knee and then she lost her legs above the knee. And by the time my grandmother and grandfather had their 50th wedding anniversary, 
their maid of honor, Margie, was in a wheelchair with a double above knee amputation. And it was all about diabetic ulcers. And, um, and you know, it was a long time ago because, you know, I'm not as young as I look. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, this was, this was you, you could see the trauma that people go through. And as you described, this is the biggest kind of outgrowth of a myriad of complex medical conditions that kind of stem from their heart disease and kidney disease and their diabetes. Um, so, wow. Well, and so, so you've created this mat and you started to see that you could find problems early and intervene. And so what did that look like in the early days when you were kind of developing them? What did that look like? How did you turn that into a product that, you know, folks were saying, wow, let's, let's figure out how to use this. And, and, um, and, you know, I know it wasn't a one step journey. It was, it, you know, it's, it takes a long time to kind of turn a boat. <laughs> By the way, I think in the beginning, our, one of the biggest changes we, we worked through is we kept thinking we were a med tech company. We built the mats and it was all about how many mats can we create and how many can we get out into homes? And we actually realized it's this great relationship backed by good data that was the real backbone of the company. We started switching to patients we can care for. And as that nursing team built up across the U.S., that was that was a, a quite a substantive change to just how we were able to lead to the outcomes that we wanted. And I'll, I'll, I'll run through a couple studies, but I'll try not to snow you with, with too many numbers. Probably our first big study was a seven-center trial where we followed patients for a period of time. And we didn't actually turn on this temperature algorithm. We just saw in the beginning, right? You're just trying to understand how good is a system. You see who ulcerated and then who, which patients we alerted. And what we found is that we were actually able to detect 97% of these wounds a little over five weeks before they happened or they presented, 37 days on average. That was the first study, which was just exciting that this, as we tune the algorithm, it was good at detecting these, these wounds early. But probably the most exciting paper we had that's in the peer-reviewed literature was our, our pilot with, with Kaiser Permanente. And there what we saw in a, a population in the mid-Atlantic region is, you know, it's a, it's a complex patient that we first prevented 71% of amputations, which was uh, uh, stronger than I think we, we expected or initially to see. Um, almost three out of four of these to wipe off the books, but we also saved approximately $12,000 per patient per year on average. The average savings was 12K. Whether we were able to get you to, to, to support you for a, just the first day and that wasn't your thing or every day in that year, that was the average part. And that was driven by a couple things. The biggest one was keeping you out of the ER and out of the hospital. So we dropped all-cause hospitalization by 52% and all-cause ER visits by 40%. And the idea that they can not have to come to us in the healthcare system, that we can go to them in their home and they can have the life that they want to and not have to be constantly in and out of our system. It was the, it was the best. It, it, was, it was an exciting outcome to get to see and it was the basis of the, the business that we've, we've built up. Neat. And so you started to see that it wasn't just a product. It was a product and the data that gets generated from the product. And then it's the notification. So it's a kind of a, you know, product data service. Um, and, and so, so how has your kind of messaging evolved 
um, around podometrics related to that because it's not just a pad anymore, right? Well, certainly when I when I was at Cavinian, my 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 my. my first mentor in this space, he would always say like, look, a monitor alone is useless. It has to be a monitor tied to an intervention and only outcomes matter. You don't want to just say, hey, this patient's in trouble and can't do anything about it. Like you need to know that the alert is actually has something tethered to it. So we really had to build up and validate our clinical protocols, uh, essentially offloading protocols and how we work with this patient. And then you look for the outcome. So you have the monitor tied to the intervention to see outcomes. And I think as we started to pivot from device to patients, you know, it really became about how do we create access? You know, this is a patient that's uh, Medicare, Medicaid, you know, it's still a large commercial population, but it's larger these government programs. And how can we get to them when the biggest challenge, by the way, was that what we kept being told in the beginning when we founded this company, everyone said it, prevention doesn't pay John, which is it's cynical, but in a fee-for-service world, that's kind of correct, yeah. right? And so like that was devastating. Like this thing has to exist. You know, and we, we, we really struggled there in the beginning until we started working with the payers to say, look, we can save you 12K per patient per year. Now capitated providers, you know, to try to keep this patient out of, out of our facilities and, 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 and hopefully safely in home. Sure. Well, and you know, I was when when you said you know, doesn't matter when you if if you don't have the right payment mechanism. You know, we've said a long time whether it's whether it's pace, hospital at home, form follows uh, finance, right? In the fever service world, and you're you're here, you know, kind of banging a drum for a form to follow uh, to follow function. And when you can make a change like this, you know, you want to scream it from the rooftops. Um, and so the payers. The payers started to take notice from the data. Sounds like, yeah, yeah, um, and 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 they're conservative by design and appropriately so. It's so important that we put our resources to where it drives outcomes the most. So often we'll need to repeat those studies in their populations. But the exciting part has been consistently strong. We can build up our programs and and then start to scale into these programs and to get to see the needle move. You know, real time is is getting to be excited now at our scale. You get to actually see the numbers start to move, and it's been neat. Now, for the for for those who are clinically, you know, not kind of kind of thinking ahead with you, all diabetics, diabetics with certain uh, specific clinical traits that say, hey, this is their next logical step, um, you, or or do you wait till they get the first DFU? <laughs> you know, like uh, you know how 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 would a provider decide? This is my population, and this group of that population is going to be um, using these these uh, maps. Uh, it's such a good question, and we have to be super appropriate where we place, you know, various resources. There's now, and I'll skip ahead. There's now four randomized control trials, three of which funded by the NIH that have looked at a few different populations, and probably the the two that are are now most valid. The, certainly one that has the most signal is anyone who's ever had a history of a foot ulcer or a partial foot amputation at any time in the past. So it could have been 10 years ago or it could have been last week. Uh, the most data is there. And then the second population that's been validated is um, patients with foot deformity plus neuropathy, meaning they don't have, they've lost their body's alarm system. They don't feel when they pick up damage. And that foot deformity is placing abnormal pressures at certain locations and abnormal shear force, even friction force, 
that can raise the risk of that tissue breaking down. You've lost your learn system. You have a focus of, 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 of stress. And unfortunately, that population is also at risk. And, and then outside of that, I mean, it stands to reason it would work. But I think if we're going to use our resources uh, where it's backed by most data, those are the two populations that are, are most in need. Excellent. Excellent. So kind of like your fire alarm goes, uh, doesn't work. Somebody's got to stay up all night and watch for fire. So <laughs> this is the way that you watch for that fire. That's right. That's right. Neat. Neat. Well, and so the, the, the fact that it's being NIH funded right now would, would suggest that oh, for, for more research would suggest that you're starting to get a lot of attention and somebody's saying, Hey, this could, these could be big numbers when we think about, um, the saving of feet, right? The dollars are about the payers, but the toes and feet and ankles and, you know, calves are about real people and their families. Um, so that's, that's why you're here, right? That's <laughs> all, that's what it's all about. It's, it's, it's always been challenging because I just don't think it's been as well recognized. So NIH really started to get involved, I'd say in the early 2000s through to maybe 2007, eight, nine, somewhere in that latter part. And now it's just really about recognition of a patient who, who we commonly doesn't get the same level of, of press or no, and just, yeah, this is a patient population that's just getting devastated, right? It's, it's, it's uh, where I think as a healthcare system, we haven't necessarily done our best work. Here, here's a great example of this, by the way. Oh, it's kind of cringy too. Um, when I trained, uh, um, you know, I was, this is a patient we would often label as poorly compliant, but we were signaling to other docs as we were giving a report that we might prescribe a medication, but it wasn't used. And as I think about just the language of that, that what I'm saying is that they aren't complying with us. It, 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 it is, it often is completely ignorant of what's really happening, that this patient may not be able to afford that medication. That it was a completely unusable medication or system that they could get to have the transportation. There's all these things now that we recognize social terms of health compliance. It, it really has nothing to do with it. We've come a long way, even since I, you know, since we started photometrics and now to get to see it, you know, starting to get into, uh, more Medicare or Medicaid, it's been, uh, it's been rewarding. We still have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Sure. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But, uh, it's been, it's been a good, good run. Certainly over the past few years for sure. That's, that's neat. Well, so, and so as you're, um, you, you continue the, you continue the research, you got, you, you got this thing moving. Um, you've, you know, got a lot of funding, so you got momentum in the meantime, really real people are getting cared for here on the clinical side. How's the uptake? Do you find that um, it's the payers that are driving this? Is it wound care centers? Is it home health companies that have remote patient monitoring and say, what are we doing for our diabetics? Let me add this tool and I want to, you know, I want to, um, you know, manage it myself or a wound care center. We're going to manage it ourselves. So, so for some people it's the mat and for some people it's the mat and the data and the, um, and the, uh, alarm going off or some, for some people it's, I'm going to get the mat and I'm going to look at the data and I'm going to be the notifier. How, do, how, what, what's your combination or is it really one kind of one, one size fits all? Well, the, the challenging part is that um, there is no fee for service mechanism to describe what, where tech enabled services have gone. And it's this mixture where you can take, capturing of data through hardware, 
the tech stack, which can make meaningful inferences and the services to deliver it. There, there really isn't a, a, a pathway there. So it's about value-based care, which has been, by the way, exciting as Medicare Advantage, Managed Medicaid, as these programs have come up to really ensure that you now have, you know, here's a pool of money. Let's use our resources in the best way possible. It has, has really created access, which has been, uh, was a big, you know, that was in the very beginning, Medicare Advantage was still, was, was really coming up, but it hadn't, where we've seen where we've gone in 10 years, it's been, it's been really exciting. So, you know, there are, there are lots of organizations that are risk-based, yes. right? They're risk-based. Yes. They, um, they may be, they, 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 they may be a large health system that has its own ACO. And so they're at risk. Do they, is their choice that they buy the uh, product and its services um, from you guys and you do all the work that you do now? Um, or do some of them say, hey, you know, we've got this big remote patient monitoring platform. Um, you know, we want to add this as another tool and we love your, you know, we love your protocols and we, we want to do all that. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make you change, your, change what you do. I'm just wondering for the people in the audience, what does it look like to them when, they, when they've got some uh, kind of tools in their toolbox? The people who really help drive this. So it's certainly the payers or anyone who is at risk could be capitated provider groups, certainly a huge increase as you think about ACO reach and these new programs. Podiatry have been amazing. Wound care centers, it's just trying to get you know, whoever is, you know, podiatry really is the one on the front lines caring for this patient, which has been important. And we really have, uh, as we built up this holistic program and approach, it's, it's, it's been important for us to make sure all the, everything is aligned well. So we haven't broken into part, we want to make sure we're delivering outcomes and those outcomes uh, uh, deliver savings to pairs, which we can, if we're successful, we can share in the savings that we create, which is how our engine works. And um, key pieces, you mentioned remote patient monitoring. The system, by the way, was not designed to be super consistent with RPM. You know, that was a big change a couple of years ago when we had this explosion of RPM that would get paid. The, the only challenge to me is, I think it, it was unfortunately a little bit unintentionally silly in its implementation. It basically said, doc, you need to look at this data every month to get billed. But a computer does that passively. It could just notify you when there's a problem. All that is just silly, busy work. Why would we be forcing docs to look at all these blood pressure measurements and temperature measurements when instead what we do is just notify them when there's an issue, there's no dashboard to have to look at. You, the provider should do what they should be wanting to do as opposed to being like legally on the hook for some dashboard that they better be aware of whatever's on that thing. We just we can notify them when there's an issue. And I found that that has been, you give a clinician anything extra to do, and often that is not a tolerable change. Instead, if you help support them with what they want to do and, and be in a way that's you know, the right moment at the right time, we have found that, that to be a very important piece. It's funny, I think RPM had the best of intentions, but it really leads companies astray in terms of how you can build a, a sustainable business. Especially another distraction for physicians who want to understand what's the action I need to take based on the metric that we see right now. And then they might say, okay, let me go and see a trend. But that's something you, you, you're right. They don't need another click on their EMR or on, you know, another dashboard. They need alerts and that are meaningful that they actually have to take an action for not just uh, the, that alert fatigue that happens to them in EMRs every day. Totally, totally. Wow, wow. It's, so, it's, go ahead. 
I was just saying, it was so funny. I used to spend a lot of time in the surgical intensive care unit. That was uh, all I ever wanted to be was an intensivist back in the day. And you constantly hear alarms going off. You know, it's a ventilator bucking over here. It's a low blood pressure over here. And then you look and no one is jumping at all these. You get desensitized to this constant alarming, I call alarm fatigue. And so you really have to be careful to, to really move the needle. It's that right alarm at the right spot so that you're not just constantly bombarding our clinicians, our staff with, you know, you just get desensitized to the constant. Right. Right. Well, so, and, and, and you know, one, one uh, kind of audience that we haven't talked about today is the actual, the actual diabetic patient. What has been the response of patients and families? As you said, you know, there used to be this, uh, you know, hey, the, this guy's not compliant. He's never going to, you know, he, can, he always wants to wear these sandals. He's never going to wear safe shoes. You know, and we, instead of kind of blaming the patient, you figured out a different way. What, um, what, what's been the response of, the, of, of patients that are using this on a, on a routine basis? The most important part is long-term engagement, which means they get it and they want to be a part of it and they understand the value and that it's been a positive experience. And uh, we do a lot of work uh, in, the, in the VA. My, my dad's a veteran with diabetes. And it was just important for me to start there in a population that has very high rates of diabetes and amputation. And they're about 70, 80% of our patients who, who start in the program are still using it near daily at the end of one year. That's my, one of my most important stats that we're able to keep these patients. Another study that came out recently su suggested that for every 23 patients we onboarded, one life was saved within 12 months. As we think about how many patients we have, how many patients we've been able, at least that it suggests we could have saved. And we think about the families that, that care for them. Um, to give them their independence and their hope and the community impact, it's been quite dramatic. And I think that that's been um, just, yeah, just, granted, I'm a, you know, being a physician, I'm even a little heavy on studies, but to me, that's the best way to really understand what impact it has and so that we work with payers that we appropriately place technology and services to the, you know, to the right patient. And these patients are so, so um, chronically ill and challenged to begin with, now give them a foot amputation or a toe amputation or a leg amputation, and now you've changed their functional status even more, um, you know, just to, be, to, to avoid that is a really big deal. It, it's their independence. And there was a couple surveys recently asked, what, what do they fear most? Is it, is it mortality? It's often loss of limb. As they realize that they are now often, they could be wheelchair bound either for a period of weeks or months to potentially indefinitely. And that to give them their hope that they, first of all, you don't have to lose a limb. You don't have to, like I, I get that current system can be quite caustic, but that we can give you a chance to stay on your two feet to, 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 to live the life that you want, I think has been, has been a huge part for why we've been able to be uh, successful. And I think it's just on us to continue to deliver good care and that creates good savings and that drives the business. Excellent. Well, so tell me what's next for Podometrics. It's really, it's, I feel like a broken record, but it's so true. It's access. We got to get into more homes. We have to be able to offer, you know, I spent time uh, uh, last year in, in Jackson, Mississippi, for example, there's these regions that have the infrastructure is just not the same that you have back in, you know, where I grew up in San Diego, for example. And we have to be able to get to these regions where they may be more remote. So how do we get them access to a, a, a home monitoring system so that we can, they can stay, you know, ideally, 
where they want to be and not have to come track me down in a hospital later, uh, which is you know, a sign that things have really gone poorly. And I think that's the name of the game for the next, uh, you know, we have good data. It took us a while to really figure out how the system really needed to work. But now that those things are coming together, access, got to get it to the patients so we can hopefully, we'll never put an end to amputation, but that we can start to give patients the patients their best chance to keep independent and I said that five-year mortality of amputation is 70 to 80 percent it's it's a it's devastating or 60 80 percent depending on the study and that's that's crazy that's the case yeah well one amputation is one too many right one too many yeah one too many well so you know this has been amazing and i think that when uh for the for the payers or the uh, at-risk providers, the ACO leaders, are the clinicians on our on our, in our audience right now. Um, how do they get a hold of you? Probably the best way is our website, uh, HTTPS. Always got to remember that part. Uh, and it's www.podometrics.com. Uh, it's the best way to do it, and we'd be thrilled to help support uh, any population in need. Excellent. And, and uh, I, I can tell you that the website's great. It's got a lot of great information. It's got a great video and a lot of, you know, read the news, uh, read, read the, you know, podometrics in the news as well, because it'll uh, talk a little bit about some of those studies. And, um, and it sounds like you've got really good stuff going on. Dr. Bloom, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, we're, we'll look forward to hearing more about podometrics and uh, the great work that you're doing to prevent problems of diabetic foot ulcers. Kathy, thank you so much for having me.